Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, July 20th, 2017. Joining us as co-host is California Attorney Charles Marshall, and I hope as our guest, uh, California Attorney Brent uh, uh, Tantillo, who uh, has offices in several states, uh, who will help us, as he did before, get into the devil in the details. Specifically, two things. The role of a company called Nationwide Title Clearing in the foreclosure crisis and claims of privacy in a lawsuit filed against J.P. Morgan Chase. What they want private is the fact that documents are routinely faked, fabricated, and forged for J.P.M. Chase. And another thing they want private is who did it. Well, NTC, Nationwide Title Clearing, is who did it. And some of the individual people who worked for NTC testified under oath at a deposition and let the cat out of the bag. This is starting to look like Lorraine Brown and Doc X. Uh, which is a division of LPS now known as Black Knight. Brown went to jail. She's the only one in the whole foreclosure crisis that ever did go to jail. At risk here in what Brent is litigating, and I see that he is on now, um, is our ability to level the playing field and have as much information as our opponents, or at least have access to it. This suit brings us to the uh, topic of old institution uh, uh, and new institution and institution versus institution. I've been talking about this for years. When allegations are made by a homeowner they typically are met with resistance and incredulity by a court. The homeowner is just saying it to get out of what is a legitimate debt. It isn't a legitimate debt, but that's basically the bias that most judges walk into the courtroom with. But the same allegations made by what appears to be an institution are treated with the respect that they, that they deserve, at least as allegations. 
We'll get into that with Brent and with Charles Marshall, my co-host, in a moment. Good afternoon to those in the Western time zones and good evening to those in the East. Follow the instructions you received when you called in in order to show my studio board that you're waiting with a question. If we can get to it, we will. And I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. And Charles Marshall is broadcasting from San Diego, California. This is brought to you by the Living Lives blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lives, AMGAR, and the Garfield Firm with offices in Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not contributors yet, we ask that you hit the donate button on the blog. You can also call 202-838-6345, our main number, but not the number to this and pledge whatever you think you can afford. If this show has value for you, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. Charles Marshall, welcome again as our esteemed co-host. Oh, absolutely, Neil. And we have a great topic on tap for today, as you well know. And I think we'll be able to uh, expose a lot of machinations going on in the foreclosure industry today. Yes, I believe you're right. Brent S. Tantillo is the managing partner of Tantillo Law with offices in New York, Washington, and Coconut Creek, Florida. Oops, I think I said he was a California attorney. Um, uh, He's litigating in California, but he's not a California attorney. Brent is very well acquainted with high-stakes lawsuits, often involving government and internal investigations, whistleblower actions, and other federal regulatory matters. Brent has extensive experience handling disputes relating to health care fraud, money laundering, the Bank Secrecy Act, RICO, and the False Claims Act. He worked for 10 years for the Department of Justice of the United States, serving as Assistant United States Attorney in the Southern District of Florida from 2006 to 2016. And he led the Southern District of Florida's Human Trafficking Task Force from 2006 to 2010, where he coordinated the efforts of over 40 non-governmental organizations and law enforcement agencies in rooting out human slavery. Coordinating the efforts of 40 non-governmental organizations is like herding cats. Brent did it. He also served as counsel and legislative assistant to the United States House of Representatives, where Brent drafted legislation on tax, banking, energy, environmental issues, and the judiciary. Brent Tantillo. It is an honor to have you back on this show. Welcome. Is he not there? Well, we will see if we can get him connected back. So here's what happened. Well, in the meantime, 
Yeah, in the meantime, yeah, um, I can, I can uh, weigh in on, on these issues, oh, okay. but sure, go ahead and set the table. Go ahead. Um, I mean, w- what strikes me is that, you know, from a legal point of view, this motion that was brought, you know, I'll, get, I'll give a little bit of background. Um, I mean, Brent would be the best person for this, but I still have a pretty good sense, I think, of the procedural background. Uh, in this Wall Street case, where themselves institutional, albeit small institutional players, were and are suing uh, Chase Bank, Chase Home Finance, J.P. Morgan Chase, in other words, the entire Chase universe, so to speak. Um, that case is still ongoing. It's very much in the thick of litigation. I believe that Brent subpoenaed some non-party entities, uh, nationwide title clearing specifically, but also two individuals, I won't name the individuals. I think that would be Brent's place to do that if he were so inclined. But nationwide nationwide title clearing and some individuals were brought into a deposition, probably by way of a subpoena, and this would have been potentially months ago. I think uh, we not have much more than that. Okay. Brent, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can, can you hear me? I can hear you now. All right. I don't know what happened. I was yeah, calling my landline. Didn't work. Technology. No, I, I heard. Uh, I heard Charles doing a great job describing the situation. I, sh- I should let him continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go on for another minute, and then you pick up. Sure. I mean, in terms of the framing here, I do. I do believe you would have gone in by way of a subpoena. So you brought these quote-unquote non-parties into a deposition. Sounds like you were able to, to expose quite a, quite a number of really important facts that you're able to use to support your case. And one of the ways that the opposition is trying to limit, possibly go beyond even limiting the utility of this in the case, is basically misusing the protective order process. Because, yeah, granted, they are a non-party, but I'm sure you had more than good reason, you know, which of course you'll be able to go into about why you brought them into the case. And to me, this is clearly an abusive process from, from the, from the opposition's end. And they're basically setting an extraordinarily bad precedent here. I mean, look, the internet is here to stay. There's all kinds of stuff that goes down on the internet. Some of it outrageous. That's something that the legal world will have to adjust to just like every other institutional place in America has had to adjust to it. We can't change the fundamental values, freedom of contract, freedom of association, and market efficiencies. Meaning if all this type of thing is screened going forward, then you are literally disabling not just business people, but people in their own personal affairs from doing due diligence and examining what's out there in the marketplace of ideas and the marketplace of litigation. And you disable people from getting information that they need to conduct their affairs. And, uh, you know, go go ahead and take it over from there, Brent. Well, yeah, you're exactly I, correct. We had a uh, non-party subpoena that was sent to <clears throat> Nationwide Title Clearing 
for the depositions of uh, two individuals, um, Brian Bly and Erica Lance. Um, the deposition with Brian Bly pretty much proceeded um, with really no issue. Um, there was, you know, throughout the deposition, there were some objections for issues of uh, confidentiality, business practices, trade secrets, that kind of thing. But the deposition was held. Um, when we started deposing Ms. Lance, um, she basically refused to answer any questions. And so uh, on the basis that it was, we were asking about proprietary information of nationwide title. And uh, yeah, these were you know trade secrets of the firm and we weren't allowed to uh, talk about them. The irony of course is that it was nationwide title clearing um, and Erica Lance in particular, who actually, you know, were the ones who, you know, prepared the documents which caused my client extreme harm. And, you know, they were obviously contact, contracted by Chase to do so. And um, so, you know, they, while on the one hand, um, you know, they can sort of state that they're not allowed or shouldn't be able to have to testify in the case, the reality of it was it was their actions that caused my client to be harmed. And, and it's basically the same type of practices that Nation Blue has been engaged in for a long time and has been accused of. I mean, here in particular, you know, there were releases of lien against uh, mortgages that my client owned, um, my clients owned. And, they, you know, what kind of due diligence did they do before they actually engage in this activity? I mean, that really is the kind of questions that we were trying to ask. I mean, you know, did, you know, did they actually check title? Did they actually check um, to see if Chase actually owned the loan? And, um, you know, it, I mean, it, it's, the questions are, are fairly simple. It's not that there's uh, a real um, – you know, you know, real secret involved here, except for the fact that I think we all know that, you know, the reality is that there are documents that Nationwide Title is filing in the public records, the public records, the records that belong to all of us, the records that affect your most important piece of property, the most important asset of your life, life which is your house. And, you know, it's our position that they're not doing the requisite due diligence when they're filing these documents. And, you know, that's a real problem because, I mean, besides, you know, your own individual persons in your home, your family, your son, your daughter, whatever, you know, what, what's more important to you than your home, you know, and, and, and to not, you know, do the requisite due diligence to ensure that what they're filing is appropriate? I mean, it, it's just remarkable, and, and it's been happening, you know, for a very long time with Nationwide, and it continues to happen. And I think that their desire to keep this closed keep it behind a pacer paywall, you know, where people can't really see the documents is, you know, very disconcerting. And it's, it's, it's a type of thing that um, shouldn't happen, have to happen in this country where, you know, as you said, Charles, you know, we have the freedom to contract. We have, it's important for the market to understand that these are the types of people you're dealing with. It's important for homeowners to know that, you know, this could happen to you, you know. And so I, I, I couldn't agree more with your analysis, Charles, that it's very important that these documents are allowed to be 
shown to the public, to be seen in the sunlight, uh, you know, because if they're not, if people don't know, they don't know what's going on, then, you know, this this foreclosure crisis is going to continue. Brent, aren't they actually taking the position, I mean, if you boil it down, and, and if you think I'm wrong, say so, that we fabricated these documents in secrecy and therefore it's private? Well, I mean, they, they certainly don't say they fabricated them, but obviously it's their position that it's in secret and they don't want anybody to know the process by which they are engaged in it. But it, there's no doubt true that Nationwide has been, um, you know, by, by various attorneys generals have in, entered into consent orders because they did not appropriately do the due diligence needed to uh, determine what they were filing was appropriate or it was um, had any merit at all. And so, um, yeah, I mean, they certainly are not making that, that position, but on the other hand, they certainly don't want anybody to know what they're doing there. And, you know, I mean, they, they've been, I mean, there's really no organization that I, I've seen that's more protective of their employees and of their secrets than nationwide. And, and, and for good reason. I mean, um, you know, they are sort of the, um, you know, they're an entity that the banks go to, to, you know, do the things the banks don't want to do. Let's put it that way. Right. Right. So. No different than LPS. Down, I mean, you're, you're, that's right. When, when no you get different. down, what's the fraud that was committed by Chase in this case that's being alleged and how did NTC help in that fraud? Well, I mean, our case in a nutshell is that uh, because of the, of various, uh, well, there's two different frauds. I mean, there's one in which uh, one of the entities that I'm representing called Mortgage Resolution Servicing uh, LLC uh, purchased a, a large pool of loans from Chase uh, in uh, 2009. And Chase, this is basically at the height of the financial crisis. And these were loans uh, we've later learned that Chase was going to either walk away from or they're going to find some unsuspecting uh, buyer to purchase. And in this case, it was uh, this company, Mortgage Resolution Servicing. And um, basically, the loans were supposed to be all first lien mortgages, closed end. Um, but what they ended up actually getting were mostly deficiency balances, a lot of second liens, and then they never got the requisite data actually to service the loans. So what they ended up you know, getting was just a bunch of junk. Um, the second uh, group of claims really relates to what happened when the uh, government and Chase entered into these settlements? Um, the first one was the national mortgage settlement, and then there was a subsequent settlement, which was related to residential mortgage-backed securities. And what ended up happening was, was that um, these entities that I represent uh, got caught basically in the dragnet of Chase trying to do everything they could to obtain as much consumer relief credit as possible. And in many cases, um, for example, with first liens, uh, they would get 140% of the unpaid principal balance if they ended up, uh, you know, basically 
uh, releasing the debt and releasing the lien as fast as they could and, and moving along. Um, related to second mortgages, they received less uh, in terms of credit. But what Nationwide came in was, was that Nationwide was hired by Chase to uh, basically uh, provide uh, the service to uh, release the lien, send out the letters to borrowers, although in many cases they never actually did send the letter, um, saying, you know, you could be part of this uh, great program where your debt's going to be forgiven. And then what ended up happening really strangely with Nationwide was when, when Chase learned that they had um, hit my client, you know, or they had released his liens on his loans, they sent out this document, which honestly, I don't think anybody's ever seen before, which was called a vacation of a home affordable modification or something like that, a loan modification. And, you know, they, they say in this document that these borrowers had, you know, incredibly, you know, applied for a home loan modification when they never did. I mean, the document is just an outright fraud. Right. And they claim that the, I mean, it's just an outright fraud. I mean, the, the document is, I mean, it's just a lie. I mean, these people, you know, they, their loans were being owned by somebody else. And, but they claim, oh yeah, well, the borrower had asked for a home loan modification and, and you know, but now they don't want to do it. You know, that's basically the premise of the document is that, you know, yeah, well, you know, uh, it, it was done in error. Sorry. But, you know, yeah, the borrower, you know, they, they wanted this. But they, it was, the loan wasn't even owned by Chase anymore. So, um, so they send these vacations out, um, you know, hundreds of them. And so, if if you look at the title of these particular loans, the title is totally messed up. I mean, you got a lien release in the in the public records, then you got this crazy vacation, which doesn't even make any sense. And then you got borrowers coming to my client saying, "We're not paying this debt no more." I mean, this is crazy. You know, like we don't have to owe it. And so that's you can see easily how they were harmed, and, and they were harmed to the tune of you know probably, I mean at the at the large end of it of at least over a thousand loans. So you know it's nuts, and Nationwide had a key aspect of that because they produced these documents that, you know, were just outright lies. I mean they just were lies. I mean there was no way to get around it. I mean you know I mean if you look at these things, I mean it's just it's just kind of nuts. I mean it's just crazy. Uh, you know, these people, you know, somehow or another, you know, were going to modify their loan and they didn't or I mean, if if you saw these things, I mean, you just you would just, you know, shake your head. I mean, it's just nuts. I I have actually seen it in uh, connection with many cases. One in particular that stands out to me is One West story where uh, One West was collecting uh, payments from the FDIC for loans that went bad before they mm. went bad. They were just reporting it as bad. And then when a false claims suit was brought, the FDIC, now without Sheila Bear, uh, said, no, we weren't defrauded, that's okay. And they often got, One West often got paid long before they filed a foreclosure, whether it was technically 
were facially correct or not. So at the time they were alleging that the debt that was accelerated, that they were carrying a balance of, say, $200,000, they may have received 140000 on that already. And the question mm-hmm. is, on whose behalf were they then suing? Because they couldn't very well admit that they got the money because it was from the government. And the government was not purchasing the loan. So had they admitted that the balance was 60000 then that would have presented an easy modification plan that would have allowed the homeowner to stay in the home and, uh, and work it out. But what they did was just like you're saying, Chase did, they said that the homeowner is in modification, and they actually entered into um, an agreement that uh, for modification that they then backed off from after they got the incentive payments from the government mm-hmm. for initiating the modification. And they lost on that. But... Yeah, and the and the, the the stories abound about how these parties uh, uh, were collecting from the so-called loan balance. They were collecting something that reduced the loan receivable, even if they were the owner of the loan. The big problem being that they weren't really the owner of the loan. One West, just like Chase, put up $2 billion for the old IndyMac loans. And Chase put up $2 billion for the old WAMU loans. But neither one actually paid that money. In Chase's well, case, they got it all back as a, as a tax refund on the WAMU estate. And then some, they actually made money. And in one West case, yeah, I mean it's a similar situation, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's the same thing. So the reason I, I I poked in on on that is just to alert people to the fact that this is a standard practice in the industry, and it became standard because they got away with it. Well, right, and what makes it odd is that the borrower never knew about anything about it. You know, it wasn't like the borrower actually applied for a loan modification. You know, that's what's so odd about it. You know, and then they have to backtrack and say, okay, well, you know, you know, it was done in error, but but the the consumer did do something, and that's what that's that's where you see the issue with Nationwide is that, you know, they were hired by Chase to file these documents that were clearly not just erroneous, but just really a, a fraud. Uh, Brent, it's it's kind of interesting that you were involved in prosecuting money launderers, launderers previously, because what strikes me, and I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on this, what strikes me is that nationwide is functionally laundering title, and 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 what you're describing. What's what's your take on that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that that's exactly right. I mean, they're a entity that is. Uh, you know, sort of in a way, um, you know, really engaged in um, 
on the one hand, washing the title and, and uh, you know, just like a money lender would do, but on the other hand, you know, engaged in a, in a huge um, fraud. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's correct. And I think what's really unfortunate about it is, is that there's millions of people's homes out there that are, that are literally, you know, the, the, the title has been clouded because of, you know, the types of things that they're engaged in. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a very, it, it's a problem that, I, I don't think enough people know about and, and the fact that the banks um, use these services like Nationwide. And Nationwide is not the only one out there. Um, in fact, Chase has definitely moved away from Nationwide. Um, but, um, you know, it, it definitely is, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a very similar type of, uh, of situation. Um, and, you know, I, I think that step removed really helps the banks. You know, it, it's, you know, just like, you know, a drug dealer would use a, a you know a laundromat or a, a restaurant to wash their money. I mean, having that step removed, um, having somebody else actually file these docs on behalf of the banks, you know, gives them the ability to say, well, it wasn't us. You know, it wasn't our fault. We didn't do this. You know, somebody else did it. And and so to some degree, we're seeing that even you know, in in this particular case where. You know, people can kind of point the finger at each other and say, well, you know, it wasn't us, it was you, and then vice versa. And that's exactly what's going on here, and it's it's particularly convenient. Well, and at least the litigation process allows the bringing in of non-parties, just as you've done here, right. to actually expose the fundamentals of what, what, are, what are going on and to get a remedy for it. Right. Yeah, I mean, some of the best information that we've received uh, in this case has been from non-parties, as as we talked about. And of course, as was mentioned in this filing that was entered into the Southern District of New York today, uh, it was about the fact that the deposition of Joseph Smith was posted actually on your website, Neil. And um, but there's nothing confidential about that. You know, I mean, but that that deposition transcript was never marked confidential. And the one that's posted on your website was one that was filed in court. So, you know, that's, you know, and that was also another third party deposition. Um, you know, and so, you know, going back to, I think, how Neil and you guys started the show, I mean, these are really effective tools for, you know, litigators to use and, and people who are not even litigators, people who are, you know, engaged, you know, in cases pro se to, you know, go to other routes. If you're having trouble with the bank, you know, then find other individuals that can give you information. And, you know, that really was and is, you know, part of our litigation strategy um, and one that, uh, you know, our clients have, um, you know, really, uh, you know, have, have, you know, our clients are very well informed about the mortgage industry. They're, they're in the mortgage industry and they know how it works. And so, you know, they, they point us to a lot of different places and they assist us and they tell us, you know, where we should go. And, and you know, I, I think that, you know, other people, if you find out something like Nationwide's engaged in, in, in these types of practices, it's worth, you know, sending that uh, non-party subpoena. And, you know, a lot of times it works, a lot of times it doesn't. You know, people will, you know, push you off or they'll give you some reason as to why you can't do it. But, I think it's a you know, listeners to this program um, who are you know, trying to fight a foreclosure or trying to root out other kinds of uh, fraud. Um, 
you know, really should try to consider it. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's so important about the developments in your case here is that you are clearly showing a practice that lawyers should consider in their defense of foreclosures, just like you said. The uh, discovery is not limited to just asking the plaintiff, if it's a judicial state, uh, uh, questions or for production and things like that. Discovery can be achieved through a non-party subpoena for deposition, for production, and it was exactly in doing that that you unveiled, revealed, the truth about what was going on. Right. And that's what has all of them in a tizzy about this, because if they don't succeed in somehow pretending to make it secret, uh, I don't know how they could do that with it out on the net, but let's assume that uh, if they did succeed, then they might not have to change the whole stable of companies that are performing these functions, but we have to be realistic that those functions will continue to be performed just by new companies whose name we, names we have not yet heard. And that's the well, music chairs theory of how they're operating. Right, right. Well, yeah, there's another shop out of Dallas called Pearson Patterson, I'm sure you guys have heard of. And uh, they also are engaged in similar type practices. Um, and from what we, we know about, it appears that Chase tends to be using them more now than nationwide. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And and something, Neil, you just said strikes me as interesting from a legal point of view because, to my mind, you know, this whole Internet um, aspect is potentially very chilling because, yes, we do live in an era when unhinged people will go online. There have always been un- unhinged people. That's part of living in reality. And they'll go online and they'll do some unhinged things. Um, and yet that will probably only happen if you hit a, a critical mass of exposure and the very exposure that creates that situation militates against getting their protective order because if the publicity of a particular situation is so broad and, and uh, expansive already anyway, why will shutting this down on Pacer, you know, behind a uh, kind of firewall, to, to further, uh, you know, eye-peering, why will that affect and how would it affect what's, every, what's already way out there on the Internet? So I think from a public po- policy point of view, the opposition to our point of view is undermined by the great publicity that the Internet already generates. I mean, part of the rationale for a protective order is, look, a lot of people don't know about this already. Let's make sure they don't for this or that public policy reason or to protect the non-party privacy, that type of thing. Um, but if it's way out there already and it's been widely dispersed and the Internet is a great engine for that, as we all know, then why will cutting off further inquiry through PACER uh, really have an impact? If it doesn't have an impact, 
that definitely militates against a protective order like this. It's almost like there's acid admission that, yeah, we did it, and we, we want to keep doing it, and if you put this out on the Internet, you're going to spoil our game. I agree with that. I think that, I, I, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because that's exactly, the, that was a the argument that we made in our um, response to NT's, our reply to NTC's response to our motion, which was that this stuff's already out there. I mean, these depositions are out there. You know, these people have been deposed before. In fact, NTCs themselves are—they're pretty open about you know their own practices. I mean, they they post these white papers on their website about what they do. And so, our position was exactly what Charles was saying, which is that yeah, these are not trade secrets. You you guys are out there um, aggressively marketing, you know, telling banks what that you can do for them. And, you know, to continue to hide this information is inappropriate because it's information that the public needs to know. It's, it's, it's vitally important to the national interest of um, our government. I mean, our government, you know, engaged in um, these settlements, obviously. Um, they have a keen interest in ensuring that uh, the mortgage market continues to be um, one that everybody can rely on. And so um, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that that's exactly right. Like this is something that's already out there. It's, you know, the, the door is already open. And so um, for them to try to bar the door at this point, you know, is it, for them to con- so that so that just like Neil said, so that they can continue to engage in this these activities is um, you know really in my view laughable. And. The of course the, the problem uh, that I have w- with this, uh, well, there's like good news and bad news. The good news is that the judge in your case seems at least somewhat sympathetic to uh, your clients, um, and in getting this information exposed, at what weight it will be given, or even if it's admitted in evidence, is another story. Um, but the the bad news is that it's entirely possible that the same judge faced with very similar allegations from a homeowner that are perfectly relevant to the issue of whether or not they're in default of anything as it relates to the party that's trying to enforce, that their allegations or defenses that they raise are taken with a grain of salt. The 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 best decisions that I have seen relative to false claims of securitization and false claims regarding so-called portfolio of, of loans have all come from cases in which uh, an institution was involved on both sides. Then the argument from both sides is taken with... Uh, the same degree of respect, but the argument from, uh, you know, John Smith against Chase Bank uh, uh, will rarely be taken as uh, by a judge as presumptively true because at that stage of the litigation, the judge is required to. They may be required to, but they don't. They don't assume that what he's saying is true. And so I think that one of the uh, uh, 
there's, there's several big lessons you're teaching us here, Brett. One is yeah. something I've been I've been pushing for years, and that is you don't have to sue other parties in order to get discovery from them. Now, they may fight you just like they did with Brent and all that, but you stand a much better chance uh, uh, by leaving them out of a lawsuit if you don't yet have the information to support an actual claim upon which relief could be granted, and then going after them with a, with a subpoena because they are claimed to be by the enforcing party to be a servicer or to be a custodian or any number of things or to be a trustee. And, you know, sometimes uh, where we have waited until trial to expose the fact that the trustee really doesn't have anything to do and never did anything and doesn't even know the case is going on, that sometimes that works. But wouldn't it be better if you got that information in sworn testimony at deposition before uh, the trial began? And that's what Brent's doing, and I think it's a good lesson for all of us uh, who do litigation. Yeah, so, I, mean, I think that we're. I mean, we've been very fortunate. We have two terrific judges in, in the case we have in New York, and you know, I, I do believe that you know, if there was a homeowner um, who had similar issues, I think they would treat them uh, similarly and just as fair. Um, but you know, these these are two wonderful judges, and but uh, you know, I, I do think that we do have a situation where you know we are seeing you know the difficulties. Um, uh, associated with, you know, obviously going after non-parties, obviously, you know, deposing people, all of this, I mean, you know, is it, extremely costly. And it's the type of thing that I think makes it more difficult for individuals who are facing, you know, a giant bank, uh, you know, to litigate. And so, I mean, you know, the budget right. that we, you know, the budget that we, you know, um, we have is, is substantial and you know we we do have resources to ask the right questions the The problem is is that many homeowners don't, and you know I, I think that insofar as you know all of us are able to assist them in some kind of way, even if it's uh you know in small ways uh you know we should try to do so because it's um you know it's an extreme it's it's a real challenge yes, it is, and we continue to fight. And as long as there's people like you, like Charles, and myself, and many other lawyers that I've mentioned or have been on the show, then we will continue to make some progress in uh, swimming upstream here. Uh, I want to thank uh, Brent Tantillo for being our guest tonight. I think uh, this was as instructive, if not more so, than your last appearance. And, of course, Charles Marshall for being the co-host of tonight's show. Um, those, of you who, those of you who want to listen to this or send the link or whatever, just look up the Neil Garfield Show on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, and you can send the link. 
Um, and uh, we'll be with you next week uh, with a new topic and a new guest. Thank you. Thank you so much, both of you. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lies Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.